There was a rifle found. Now, how did that rifle get there? That was Oswald's rifle. So if he's carrying curtain rods, how did that rifle get in there? I mean, people have to use common sense. And so people are so far gone that you, you can't help them. That you, nothing, will, this won't make any difference at all. It's amazing. Go ahead, continue. But I just want to say that this was, you know, a cold case, but look what we're bringing into it. This, this technology that confirms again that Lee Harvey Oswald took a lie detector test and he failed miserably. He failed notably. And he confessed without even knowing it. Right, now the, what about, look at his actions in the movie theater. Right. What comes to mind? What do you, when you look at that, when he was apprehended, looking he's, at us as a law enforcement guy, what, what comes to mind? Well, he slips in without paying. Now, he could have paid, but once again, the longer you're standing out there and trying to pay your ticket and having a ticket print or however it is it works, and get a ticket, the longer it is that cops are going to see you. He's got to get inside now. So he thinks he slips in unnoticed. He actually does. It was for Johnny Brewer because, you know, the cashier, Julia Postal, didn't see him necessarily, but uh, Brewer confirmed. If it was for him being a nosy, a good, you know, quote-unquote neighbor, he may not have been found right away. But he, so he slips into the theater without paying because he has to get out of the daylight. He sits there, and, you know, when the police get there, he gets up, he goes to the aisle, he turns back around, goes back and sits back down again. He's thinking about leaving, but he knows he's surrounded. And when the police finally get up to him, they said, hey, get on your feet. And Oswald stands up, he puts his hands about uh, chest high, and he said, well, it's all over now. And with one hand, he strikes awesome Officer McDonald with a distractor technique, which works. He, Officer McDonald's hat comes off, he flies backward. At the same moment, he produces a pistol, and tries are going to work again. And luckily, during the struggle, the webbing of his hand gets stuck in the, between the hammer and the primer, and then uh, it doesn't it doesn't go off. Thank God. Um, yeah, sure. but yeah. He was going to go out suicide by cop. I've seen it. I've been to, uh, to to scenes like that. And you have nothing to lose. He already killed the president. He killed the police officer. He knows he knows he's going to get prosecuted. He's going to be found guilty. He's probably going to you know get the get the death penalty for it, at least for Tibbet. And yeah. He knows it's all over. He's got nothing else to lose. Luckily, the officers were better trained, used better discretion, and were able to bring him in, you know, alive. If he was some sort of conspiracy, they would have killed him right then and there. 100% justified in doing it. He pulled a gun. He just killed a police officer. Right, right. But, sure, keep but, him, oh, keep they quiet. This, yeah, they take this conspirator in alive. No, 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 no. That was a perfect place to do it. They didn't do it because it didn't happen. He was a cop killer. Uh, he was a thug. You know, common street thug. That's what he was. And, and you know, there's no, there's no way around that. Uh, it's something that I wanted to also mention to you. Uh, he gets a little bit talkative when he's in police custody, talking about cars in Russia and appliances or whatever. He clams up about certain things. It strikes me as really odd. If he were an innocent guy, why on earth does he run into, rush into the rooming house, rush out, doesn't talk, uh, is willing to talk to complete strangers in the police station about, you know, life in Russia, but he can't talk about the news of the century, if not the decade, in the rooming house with somebody he knows whose children he would play with. So, I mean, it's just there's something out of character about all this. He, you know, he just doesn't, he suddenly changes the most talked about thing for the year in Dallas was the assassination of JFK. So that's another thing that just strikes probably in, in everybody's mind is, is, is odd behavior. Are there any other things about 
details of the case to the week that are red flags, speaking as a police officer? Well, you know, that's a good point you make up that you, you, you talk about is that you know, I've seen this hundreds of times, either I've done it myself or I've been a part of it, where we will, you know, we'll get the background of somebody. So we'll start talking to somebody and say, hey, you know, how was work today for entering a suspect? And, you know, we'll talk about maybe some world events going on and that kind of stuff. We'll get them talking, we'll get them talking. And, you know, and then as soon as you get to anything that's related to their criminality, as soon as you get to anything that's related to their criminal actions, they clam up. What does that tell you, right? Well, then we'll go back and we'll we ease off a little bit. We'll go back and talk about other things and stuff, and then we'll ease back into it. And as soon as you get to their participation in a crime, they clam up. Well, Oswald talked about, hey, he 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 said he was at the second floor lunchroom during the during the assassination. Then later on, he said he was the first floor lunchroom. I published notes for the first time a book from Agent uh, Hosty that said that according to his own notes that um, he said O was out front watching the presidential presidential parade. So we have three different versions of where you're at. You Just like we, we all remember where we were when 9-11 was. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to yeah, right. really vacillate. Sure. We know if you're at the scene of Kennedy's assassination, you're going to know exactly where you're at. You know, Oswald First of all, was the only one that didn't stick around, was the only employee that didn't stick around or get a, give you a written or verbal statement to, statement to law enforcement. And also, he wasn't, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, isn't it interesting that he was not, and there were no witnesses that said, yeah, I saw Lee watching with uh, some coworkers the steps of the school book depository or out a window with other coworkers watching the event. Well, he also said that he was in the lunchroom with another, and quote-unquote, according to Oswald's words, um, a colored gentleman and couldn't provide his name, but didn't know his last name. And that guy's like, no, he also didn't eat lunch with me. You know, I was up on the fifth floor watching the parade. So he would give an alibi that did not check out. And it's just, why would you do that? You know, why wouldn't you, why would you lie about where you were during the crime? Because you were there doing it. And people right. just can't accept that. They have to think that it was just a massive conspiracy. And they can't accept the fact that this complete loser took advantage of yeah. several weaknesses and did it. And, it, you know, it's right. just, it, it happens. Right. And then we look at the General Walker incident that yes. was yes. Marina Oswald stated, I think in the Warren Commission interrogations, that she heard Lee confess to her that he had taken a shot at General Walker, right? Oh, of course. And that's documented. We still have – now, Oswald burned his Walker notebook at the assistance of Marina, but Marina kept some pictures – and his note, she kept it hidden in some notebooks from time to time to wow. use as leverage against Oswald in case. And we have that stuff. It's in his handwriting. Is that, you know, that, that, that semi-burnt record was was part of, um, you know, the uh, the materials that were, you know, seized by the Warren Commission. Yeah, so tell and, us a little and, bit about that. And about for a that. minute, just forget about Kennedy. Forget about it. Let's say that it didn't happen yet because it didn't happen yet. Talk about Walker. He was willing to be arrested or possibly be killed to shoot at General Walker, one of the most you know, divisive and polarizing political figures in Dallas, right? And in a nation, essentially. And he was in Oswald's backyard, you know, so he's only a couple miles away off of Trill Creek Boulevard. He stalks Walker. He takes photographs. He has drawings. He has planned this out. He knows what he's going to do. And he had, he crossed that bright line. That was the point where he decided to cross over that bright line into um, his murderous and his homicidal fantasies. And that's really where you start to understand where he just is now, he's declining. Um, anyone who, 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 would, who would do that is not in the right mind, is not thinking clearly, and definitely has problems. And he was willing to die. He was willing to kill somebody. You know, he bought the pistol first, 
that's close combat range, right? That's a short barrel pistol. It's only good for a foot or point blank range. He goes and buys a rifle with a telescopic sight. That is for uh, distance shooting. That's for someone where he can take cover and kill somebody. And you know, that's what he decided to do. And that right there, if you understand Walker's shooting, then Kennedy makes complete sense. Because he didn't kill John F. Kennedy. He killed the president of the United States. And there is a difference. Okay. Now, I wanted to also ask you about briefly about Oswald's marriage to Marina. There's some things that came out. What did you want to, you know, what would you like to, to tell the audience about what's significant about his marriage with Marina? He was a wife beater. And so, of course, all wife beaters don't kill people. But he was sadistic. He, according to uh, Jean de Morinchil, George de Morinchil's wife, she stated, and you can find this video of this interview on YouTube, she stated that Oswald plucked the cigarette out of Marina's mouth and put it out on her shoulder. Now, Marina denies this in Marina and Lee, that was published, I think, in 77. Uh, she denies this, but, you know, he he sexually, he raped Marina on at least one occasion to the point where she tried to hang herself in the Elsbeth ba apartment bathroom and came in just as she was putting the cord around her neck that was a tie, that was tied to the, the bathroom shower curtain rod. So right. he was just sadistic. He was, he just didn't care. He, you know, he, he, he was just a terrible, terrible person. And people like Judith Mary Faker and all those people that say, oh, he was my husband, he was my boyfriend, and he was so loving and caring. Absolutely not. Those right. that's absolutely incorrect. Never had a relationship with them. People who actually knew Oswald will tell you, by and large, terrible, terrible person. I also want to bring attention to the fact that in your book, uh, Malcontent, Lee Harvey Oswald's Confession by Conduct, in, in that book, Malcontent, you he has some remarkable photographs. Um, and I was very surprised to see that. I've mean, seen so many photos relating to that, you know, the tragic deaths and November 22nd, 1963, in Dallas. But I never saw one, for example, of Lee Harvey Oswald in the police station. It looks like he was being fingerprinted or signing a document. I mean, that was amazing. That, right. There's, no, there's a couple of different photographs I published. Some for the first time or some are very obscure. That one was published by Richard Trask in, I believe it's called That Day in Dallas. He gave me permission to take it. It was the last photograph that that photographer took and he ran out of film. So I mean, that was that was amazing. A, an amazing picture of Oswald being booked, being fingerprinted. Uh, there's a picture of Oswald in my book. I noticed for the first time after, you know, more than, you know, after, you know, 57 years, 56 years, that Oswald gave a dying declaration. I was able to confirm. Yeah, tell us about that. This is incredible. Yeah, so, sure. So Lee Harvey Oswald, of course, was shot by Jack Ruby. They immediately dragged Oswald back into the jail office floor and unhandcuffed him. And Detective Combest was there. And he, and he could tell Oswald was dying. He said, do you want to say anything? Do you want, you want to tell us anything? He shook his head, no. This is your last time to tell us. Is there anything you want to tell anybody? Now is the time. Tell us. And Oswald put his hands up in a clenched fist salute, just like he did on November 22nd in the hallway at, at the police headquarters, which has been uh, photographed as in my book as well. But when Combest testified before the Warren Commission, he didn't say that because at that time, he didn't know what that sign meant. Now, of course... Later on in the 60s and 68, for example, we had like, you know, Black Power, the Panthers, feminists. You have the Olympians holding up their clenched fists as they're receiving their medals in the Olympics, the 68 Olympics. Then he realized what the clenched fist salute means. Now, of course, we've seen a lot in today's um, craziness we have going on right now. Black Lives Matter. Uh, yeah, all that stuff. So when uh, Anthony Summers interviewed him for his book, Conspiracy, Combat says, yeah, he held up his clenched fist in a clenched fist salute. I didn't know what it meant at the time. Well, a lot of people call Combat's liar. There's no way to prove it. And for me, if I can't prove it, it didn't happen. And so 
I was at my desk, you know, writing my book, and I had pictures of Oswald over my desk. And I looked down at a picture that I had seen a thousand times before that's been published hundreds, if not thousands of times. It's a picture of Oswald on the stretcher on the Dallas police basement being wheeled into an ambulance. And he's got that right fist still clenched in a clenched fist salute. And then I went to the Sixth Floor Museum archives, and I found a picture, which I published in my book, of Oswald and the ambulance being backed into Parkland Hospital. And there's a window in an ambulance. And Oswald's right fist is still clenched in that clenched fist salute. So Oswald's last intentional physical act on earth was to give the clenched fist salute as a reason for, as as his last as his dying declaration now hey tell my kids my wife i'm sorry you no know, be better than i am i love you i screwed up i'm sorry uh, i'm sorry i love you guys you know have a good life he held up his hands in a clenched fist salute and died holding that clenched yeah. fist salute a definitive statement yeah, that is hardcore. He was wholly he was wholly committed to his ideological fantasies rather than to his family, of course. And that tells you that that right there should tell you anything you need to know about Oswald or why he did what he did. He held up a clenched fist salute and yeah. died. And Angela, people remember Sean, you know Angela Davis, a communist revolutionary, with her clenched fist and, and others. And you know, I mentioned BLM, Black Lives Matter. The the, the founders apparently are all are communists or socialists, which to me is yeah. just a that makes me laugh. No, they, if they're Marxist, trained Marxists, uh, to me, it's just, it's the same thing. And what do you see on uh, BLM graffiti? You see, like, a clenched fist? President Kennedy, there's a book called We Were There. It was written by the doctors who treated President Kennedy. One of the quotes in there was that when President Kennedy was brought into the hospital, his fists were still clenched because when the, when the, throat through the, the shot through the throat or to the back um, caused nerve damage, we all seen Kennedy clench his fists. And we see right. that when it brings elbows up. Um, one of the doctors testified that his hands were still clenched when they brought him in. So that is right. And, of course, Kennedy died immediately after the headshot. Uh, so that is lends credence to the fact that Oswald died holding that clenched fist. Kennedy did the same thing. It was intentional. It was his last intentional physical act on Earth. And well, so we have somebody kind of like a – you know, the proto-Antifa member. <laughs> if he was alive today, or he, you know, if he had been born in a different generation, he would definitely be uh, an Antifa member, no doubt about it. What, what does that tell you? If you study Oswald, it tells you all you need to know about him. He answers all your questions for you. We go to, of course, Michael Payne. Michael right. Payne, the estranged husband of Ruth Payne. Ruth and Marina become friends. Ruth is studying Russian. Marina is from Russia. It's like a, the perfect friendship, you know? Right. And tell us about Michael Payne. Tell us about Ruth Payne. Sure. And the relationship that they had with Oswald. Well, first of all, I try to contact Ruth Payne. You know, Ruth Payne will not spot a conspiracy folks because people have accused her. Uh, I mean, some vile things on the Internet, on these Facebook pages about her, some nasty words. So she won't talk oh, to a lot of people. I was able to get her phone number, and I called her like a nice message on the phone. I didn't hear from her for two weeks. I called her again and say, hey, I'm writing this book on Lee Harvey Oswald. I understand your husband wrote this uh, manuscript called My Experience with Lee Harvey Oswald. I would like to... With your permission, look at that, please. Lo and behold, about a week later, I get a call from Chris Payne, her son. Wow. He goes, hey, I understand you're writing a book. I said, yes, sir. And I went, and it's amazing what you can get with some kindness. He emailed me the manuscript right away. And it's just chock full of great information. Wow. I'm the first one to publish all seven or eight pages of it um, in its entirety. Tell us about it. What does it say? What's it, what, what, what does Michael Payne go into? Well, Michael Payne said that Oswald said uh, – uh, Oswald showed Michael Payne the backyard photograph. 
Now, there are still those that claim the backyard photographs are fake. Marina testified she took them. The camera was traced back to that film. George de Marshall, in 1967, was unwrapping packages he received in the mail, and Oswald mailed him a signed photo of the backyard photograph. You know, so very, the backyard photographs that Oswald um, was just, he was seething with ambition, and he was, to the point where Os um, Payne took him to an ACLU meeting, which ironically was uh, right after Oswald went to the Walker uh, rally, you know, after he had uh, shot, tried to shoot General Walker. Michael but Payne he, stated that Oswald told him that change only comes through violence. So, you know, he spent three or four, even though they weren't very long, I think they're one of the best, besides Marina, they're one of the best sources to find out who Lee Harvey Oswald really was. And he was just, as one person put it, eating with ambition. Michael Payne was very intelligent. He can see that. That Oswald was very dedicated to what he believed, or at least what he thought he believed. And that um, Oswald didn't want to take the time to, you know, do things, to change things in the right way. way. Right, to, to vote or to, you know, go and support the causes you support and that kind of thing. He, the only change was through violence, and uh, it's very, very telling. And then at this time, you have Oswald ordering a pistol and a rifle. So when he, caught, when he crossed that bright line, remember, the rifle and the pistol were bought just for General Walker. So when Oswald decided to cross that bright line and, and over to the, the homicidal side, that's, you know, that's where his mind was at. And Michael Payne recognized that. And, and this seven or eight page manuscript is absolutely just huge, single page. It's just absolutely uh, ins very insightful about what Oswald was. Well, you know, we've got a statement by Michael Payne that's not just, you know, a paragraph. It's more like six pages. What else did he say about Oswald? The ACLU meeting, what else does he go into? Um, he viewed himself as an unimportant person, and his thoughts and actions were not being recognized. I think he wanted to be significant in history, and that's huge. So I think Oswald was frustrated, and Oswald was trying to affect some change. It wasn't happening. You know, the recognition in New Orleans was very fleeting. It didn't amount to anything, actually. It made absolutely no difference. And I think Oswald saw himself better than what he was. And he had this ambition, he had this drive that change only comes through violence. There's a quote I have in my book that when he told Alien Mosby in Russia, he goes, you don't just sit around and talk about it, you go out and do it. And that is it, huge. He didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. And that's what he was about. Aileen Mosby, who's a UPI correspondent stationed in Russia, so she interviewed Oswald, so did um, uh, Priscilla McMillan, but she interviewed Oswald. And and was quoted. I have that. It's, I think it's warm. I have it. Uh, the site sorted. The, I'm sorry. I have the source cited that he told her. Um, you don't. You don't just sit around and talk about it. You go out and do it. Yeah, he's a he's a doer. You know, like you think globally, act locally. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know what? Act, act, yeah, act locally and uh, kill a cop and, and, and nationally kill a president. My God. I'm telling you, yeah, I'm telling you right now. In today's world, he'd be labeled a terrorist, domestic terrorist, no doubt about it. If he hadn't killed President Kennedy. You know, it's all speculation, but I think he would have been a workplace shooter. He would definitely have not stopped. He would have waited for another opportunity to create some local violence in the, in the Dallas local government. I think that's very, very real. He was very frustrated. He, you know, he was going to make some sort of difference, and that was going to come about through violence because that's the only thing he knew. And let's face it, does violence work? Unfortunately, it does, right? Unfortunately, violence works for sometimes. And he didn't want to sit around and, and wait wait for it peacefully. He wanted to go out and affect that change immediately through violence. And you know, I wanted to say that here he is, unsuccessful, can't keep a job, right? speaks Russian, but not really, really well. Yeah. I think he was 
court-martialed down to Buck Private in the Marine Corps, was not a Buck Sergeant. His wife is, maybe they've discussed divorce. It's just not a very successful profile. But he noticed something. He can kind of transform himself into, into somebody by saying, I'm a revolutionary. <laughs> you know that? That's right. He was a revolutionary in his own mind. I think Michael Payne says something that affected in an interview. He, he tried being a husband and wasn't good at that. Right, abused his wife and, and physically, sexually, emotionally. People say he did play with his kids. However, what kind of legacy did he leave his children? His children oh, want nothing to do, and his grandchildren now, want nothing to do with him at all. Marina wants nothing to do with him at all. So he wasn't quite, he was only thinking of himself. I think that he was at his, at his, at his end. I think he realized he couldn't hold a job, didn't have a lot of money. It would never get any better for him. He had a limited means. Um, and a lot of people feel that way but they kind of pick those bootstraps or they get education or they, you know, work two jobs to pay to do something. Uh, and he decided to buy a pistol and a rifle and go practice and kill people. Yeah, sure. And, and you know, the, the, uh, somebody I know spoke to Marina Oswald once, actually several times. And at one point she said in her Russian accent, I married to assassin. He killed president. I don't like it. Saying it with pain in her voice. Yeah, I mean, that's terrible. I mean, you know, she loved him. Her husband, you know, and she, no doubt she loved him. And they had children together. Now, those of us who have children, you know, you, you have that bond, right? You know, you'll never lose yeah. that. Um, but look, look at the pain. Look at look at what it's caused. Right? You know, she went through different stages of grief, like we all do, with, with certain right. things. And, you know, it's just, you know, shame on him. He left several fathers, uh, several uh, children fatherless. He changed world history forever, and he didn't care who he hurt or you know who he had you know what he had to do. But he was going to do this for himself. Make no mistake, it wasn't for Russia, it wasn't for Cuba. When it comes down to it, it's for himself. You know, he wanted you know the fact that we're talking about him now, we're writing books about him, and his pictures on you know T-shirts and bumper stickers and all this ridiculousness. He would absolutely would have enjoyed if it wasn't for this. Nobody would would have remembered Lee Harvey Oswald. He'd been a complete nobody just would have faded away, you know, and, and been done with it. Didn't do much good. No, he didn't have long, long enough to enjoy it, so the joke's on him. So listen, Sean, thank you so much. Uh, the book, folks, is Malcontent, Lee Harvey Oswald's Confession by Conduct. That's Malcontent, Lee Harvey Oswald's Confession by Conduct by Sean DeGrilla. Sean, do you have a website? I do. It's uh, SeanDeGrilla.com, and uh, there's stuff about... Well, my book, the CBSA, and there's a place where you can contact me. I'll answer any and all questions. Be happy to. And uh, sure. yeah, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great. Well, just one thing, a clarification. Yeah. Spell your last name, please, because it's not an. It's not you know like Smith or Jones. <laughs> no, Sean is S E A N, and the gorilla is D E G R I L L A. That's right, folks. Well, Malcontent, Lee Harvey Oswald's confession by conduct. I'm with Sean DeGorilla. And uh, we look forward to talking with you again, Sean, in the future for your next book.